Well, Happy New Year, Flatirons. You guys alive, everybody? Wow, there's a lot of you here tonight. Awesome. Hey, um, so the holidays are over. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but you're kind of lethargic at this point. Just kind of, you know, working off all the eggnog and all the other stuff that we consumed over the holidays and things like that. And, you know, New Year's is over. And now we have these really cool things to look forward to, like tax forms coming in the mail and credit card bills and going back to school. Woohoo! Yeah, really glad to be here tonight, aren't you? Listen, um, just a show of hands, let's take, let's take a quick poll. How many of you uh, left town for the holidays? You went somewhere else. You, you went somewhere, okay? I did too. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, stayed here but had people come to your house for the holidays? Okay, show of hands. Put your hands down. How many of you are really happy to be back in your house or have the people who were in your house not in your house anymore. Anybody? Okay, yeah, I, I totally, totally get it. One more, uh, one more question. Uh, how many of you would like for this year, 2008, to in some way be different from 2007? Anybody? Doesn't necessarily have to be better, just different. Yeah, a lot of us would really like that, right? And so, I mean, what did you expect today other than to come in and talk about, okay, everything's a clean slate. I mean, we even wiped the stage clean and things like that. It's due over time. It's set resolution time. It's set goal time, you know. And if you've got your program, you're going to need that. And you may want to flip that over and you see those categories and stuff on there. And so what else did you expect us to do today than to talk about resolutions, Right. And, and resolutions have, have different definitions. The first definition of resolution is a firm decision to do or not do something. The kind of root word of resolution, resolve, is to decide firmly on a course of action. Re- resolution can also mean clarity or it can mean uh, more focused and sharp. Like low resolution then would be unclear and fuzzy, Right. Resolution can also mean to settle a dispute or reach a decision. And so every year. We come back around and we reach a decision, a firm one, to do this year different than last year, right? And then recently I kind of figured out that our resolutions, our goals, these firm decisions we make, we all pretty much make the same ones. Every year we all pretty much make one or several of these top ten resolutions. And if if you've ever resolved in your mind or or written this down or had a resolution to do any of these things, just clap, cheer, dance, do whatever you want to do to to just kind of show us that you've resolved yourself to this at some point in your life. The number one resolution of people in this country is spend more time with friends and family. Anybody? Woo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Gosh, some of you are not very nice to your family. Okay. Um, Exercise more. Anybody? Okay. All right. Lose weight, anybody? I'm still okay. Quit smoking, anybody? All right. Enjoy life more, anybody? Enjoy life more. All right. Quit drinking. All right. You just, what? You don't want what? <laughs> it's in there. All right. Hey, if there's any church in America where we would go, yep, it's this one. Okay. Uh, get out of debt, anybody? Get out of debt. All right. Learn something new. I mean, how nebulous is that? Learn something new. Woo, bold. All right. Uh, help others. Help others. Anybody? Okay, yeah. Uh, last one, get organized. Anybody? Yeah, get, oh, that's a big one. All right. Could I propose that there's one that should enter our consciousness, and it's simply this. Take your dang Christmas lights down before Valentine's Day. <laughs> Seriously. You know, and I said that to Jim the other day, and he's like, I took mine down on St. Patrick's Day once. He even lit him up for St. Patrick's Day just to celebrate. I'm like, man, you're a mess, all right? 
Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I tend to start out with great enthusiasm, great vigor, great determination. I really, in my mind, believe this is the year. This is the year where I'm actually going to accomplish those things that I wrote down. I'm going to accomplish those resolutions. I firmly decided, and you've done it too, right? And there's nothing that kind of puts a magnifying glass on this whole thing any better than the gym experience. Am I right? And those of you who go to the gym like every day or several times during the week, all throughout the year, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you have like this little fraternity sorority thing going on where you kind of get to know everybody and everybody has their own routine. And you have your same parking spot, and your same locker, and everything's going really well for like 11 months out of the year. And then in January... There's all these newbies that walk in with their new tennis shoes and their cool sweatpants, you know, and their new iPod because that's the thing that's going to motivate them to run and things like that. And so they show up and they totally mess everything up. You can't park in your parking place. You can't get to your locker. You have to wait on the machines. But here's the thing that you know in the back of your brain and all your other fraternity members as well. All you have to do is wait for what? February, right? (laughs) All you got to do is wait for February and it all goes back to normal. The same people who were there before Thanksgiving are the ones who are there at Valentine's Day. That's just kind of the way it works. We set resolutions. We decide firmly on a course of action. We decide to move our life to a better place, a more clear place. And usually we're really, really sincere. We really do want to do it. We really want it to happen. But then life happens, right? Things happen, we put those resolutions on the shelf, and we don't look at them again, ever, unless we're really, really brave, right? Because it's kind of defeating to look at them again. It's almost like every year is kind of that Groundhog Day experience. You know the movie Groundhog Day, where every day is the same? It's like every first of the year is the same for us. We write down the same resolutions, or we at least have them in our mind, and then a few weeks later, they all fall by the wayside, and we start all over again. I wasn't a resolution maker for a long time until the last couple of years. And then this last year, I went like crazy overboard. I don't know what I was thinking, but I set 21 resolutions last year. I I don't know. I was smoking crack or something. I don't know. Four different categories that are represented in your program. All right. Physical, spiritual, family and work. All right. And I thought they were original. I I had these crazy goals like only drink water or coffee. Nothing else. I made it. Oh, I couldn't notice I couldn't give up coffee. That's never going to happen. You don't want to be around me if I do. Uh, and I lasted like a week. No soft drinks, no nothing. I lasted like a week. Don't, even, don't eat any fried foods for six out of seven days a week. I needed a free day in there to kind of look forward to. I made it like five hours, all right? Because there's Taco Bell and Wendy's and Good Time Burger in eyesight of this church, okay? So that didn't happen. Uh, I was supposed to establish a regular date night with my wife, Allison, and, and we went on dates, but not consistently enough. Uh, I wanted to memorize the entire book of James in the Bible. I got like a verse and a half or something like that. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to make sure I took my family on a family vacation, and they got to join me on a speaking engagement to a camp in Arizona for a bunch of middle school and high school kids and sit in the cabin while I went and taught. Didn't quite qualify as a vacation for them. I had a lot of cool stuff on that piece of paper. I had a lot of really good things that if I would have accomplished them, man, I would be a better person. I'd feel better about myself. I could stand here today and go, look what I did last year. The problem is I didn't do them. I didn't do them. 
And the truth is, all over America, last weekend and this weekend, there are churches kind of telling people, listen, you need to set some goals. You need to prioritize your life. You need to get things organized. And you need to set some resolutions, whether they call them that or not. That's what they're saying. And I even found Christian websites devoted to Christian resolutions. And the funny thing was, the Christian resolutions were not any different from the resolutions. They're all the same because we're all people. So here's my question. Before we kind of start this Groundhog Day cycle all over again this year, can I ask this question? Is this the right approach? Is this the right way to go about things? Is this the way to do it? Or is there something we're missing? Is there something wrong? If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of John. We're going to look in chapter 10, and we're going to check out what Jesus has to say about some of this stuff. But before we even do that, we have to familiarize ourselves with a concept, okay? And the concept is simply this, that in the Bible, you and I as people are most often compared to a specific kind of animal. Anybody want to take a guess at what kind of animal that is? Just shout it out. Sheep. You're exactly right. Sheep. Now... I don't know if this is news to you or not. That's not a flattering comparison. Okay? Sheep are not the really coolest animals in the world. They're not even interesting. In fact, me and my daughter, we watch wildlife shows all the time. But I've never set the DVR to record a Discovery Channel special on sheep. Two reasons. One, because they don't make it. All right? Two, because I wouldn't be interested if they did. Sheep are not that interesting. I mean, why couldn't we be compared to something cool like a lion or a wolf or a tiger or something like that? I mean, why has it got to be sheep? I mean, we name football teams after really cool animals like the lions, the bears, the broncos, and there are no sheep teams. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's the CSU lambs, right? Hey, when I moved here, they told me, you got to be hot or cold. You got to pick a team. I picked CU. And you got to be honest, okay? At the CU-CSU game, when Ralphie goes charging down the field, that's like a moment. That's like a, oh, wow, that's cool. And then the lamb-ram thing? Come on. (laughs) Whatever. All right. (laughs) I'm never going to get out of here alive, am I? If you've ever spent much time with sheep, they're not the smartest creatures on earth. They, they've actually been known uh, to run off of cliffs because they smell something cool. They'll just literally follow their nose right off of a cliff. I'm not kidding. I, I did mission trips to Northern Ireland where there are a lot of sheep. I actually got to talk to a shepherd in Northern Ireland, which was really cool. And he told me, he said, listen, when sheep end up on their back, if they fall or roll over or whatever, if they're running from something and they trip and they roll over on their back, the sheep in Northern Ireland, at least, because they're kind of shaggy, they can't roll back over. So they lay there with their arms in the air and die. That's what they do. Sheep, they actually get um, swarmed by insects and gnats and they can't do anything about it. They'll fly in and out of their snout and actually lay eggs inside of their snout and it'll drive them crazy. Of course it'll drive them crazy. It'll drive you crazy too. And sheep have been known to bang their head against trees until they die because it's driving them crazy. They get scrapes and they get wounds that they can't fix. Did you know that 70 million Americans suffer from insomnia? You're like, yeah, that's me. You know the only other creature on the planet that suffers from insomnia? I'm not kidding. Sheep (laughs) suffer from insomnia. They have to have perfect conditions to sleep. I wonder if they count humans while we... (laughs) All right. So uh, sheep are really defenseless. 
I mean, I can go on all day. They don't have fangs. They don't run fast. At least a camel can spit at you. Sheep got nothing. They're a walking meal. That's what they are. All right. Which is why they need a protector. That's where the shepherd comes in. Shepherds, they have to carry weapons. Because everything on the planet wants to eat sheep because they're easy to eat. And so in Jesus' day, they carried a rod or a staff. And shepherds actually, it's really weird. Like they really get to know their sheep. Like they know them each by name. And the really interesting thing is in the Middle East, sheep aren't driven or wrangled or really shepherded as much as they're just led. Shepherds walk out in front of their sheep and the sheep follow them because the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. In fact, sheep have terrible eyesight, but they have pretty good hearing. In fact, you can have hundreds and hundreds of sheep all corralled into one pen that represents several different flocks. And you can have all the different shepherds for those different flocks come out and surround the pen. And some shepherds actually sing a familiar song so that the sheep can recognize their voice. You can open up the gate. Those shepherds are singing their respective songs. They're speaking their respective talk or language. And the sheep will actually self-sort and follow their shepherd. At night, sheep in Jesus' day were often corralled into caves, kind of makeshift pens. And since they didn't have a gate all the time, the shepherd would literally lay down in the entryway to the cave. The shepherd would literally be the gate. So the only way that a predator could get to the sheep was to go through the shepherd. When a sheep was being driven crazy by gnats and insects, the shepherd is the one who pours oil and anoints their head as a pesticide, insecticide. When a sheep was hurt, a shepherd would mend its wounds. When sheep are thirsty, the shepherd leads them beside still waters. When a sheep is hungry, the shepherd is the one who leads them to green pastures. You see, to a sheep, the shepherd is their life. Their source of hope, their source of protection. The shepherd is everything to a sheep. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at what Jesus has to say in John chapter 10. We're going to look first at verses 1 through 5. He says this. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. And the watchman opened the gate for him, and the sheep listened to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus is basically saying, listen, listen, this is the way my relationship with you is supposed to work. I'm supposed to know you at your deepest level, and you're supposed to recognize me for who I am. I lead and you follow. Recognize my voice. The problem is a whole lot of voices out there, isn't there? whole lot of distractions out there in the midst of everything that's coming our way, in the midst of all the noise, how good are you and I at recognizing truth when we hear it? Because Jesus is always on the side of truth. He is truth. So how's our hearing? Jesus goes on. It says this in verse 6. Jesus uses figure of speech, but as often was true for his followers, they didn't understand what he was telling them. So he goes on. I tell you the truth. I'm the gate for the sheep. He's switching metaphors a little bit here. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, when Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's saying, I'm the barrier between you and the one who wants to destroy you. I'm the one standing between you and the predator. I'm the one who's standing between you and danger. 
See, oftentimes when we hear Jesus kind of described as the good shepherd, I don't know about you, but I picture, you know, white Jesus, blue sash, cuddly sheep. You know, that picture right there. That's what kind of comes to mind. But in this context, when Jesus is describing himself as the defender, we'd be better off picturing him more this way. Seriously. Seriously, I mean, Jesus is saying, I'm your defender. I fight for your freedom. I stand against your enemies. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who has laid down his life for you. I'm the only one. I'm the only one standing between you and the one who wants to destroy. And I'm not going anywhere because I want you to have life. I want you to have it to the full. Then he goes on and he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's just a hired hand and he doesn't care anything for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's the bottom line. Sheep don't make resolutions. Sheep don't write goals. Never heard of that happening before. I've never heard of a sheep sitting down and trying to figure out a way to further integrate the shepherd into his or her life. No, the shepherd is life. No sheep has ever held a piece of paper in front of them like you have in front of you today and try to categorize their life. No sheep has ever tried to lose weight, read more, be a better mother, eat more organic grass with less trans fat. Now... I'm not saying those are bad things. In fact, those are good things. Those are wise things. Those are healthy things. We should do those things. Those are things we should do. But my question is, are are we missing the most important thing? Are we missing the thing that should come before all else? And that would be to follow. To follow. You see, I think when Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he's literally saying, follow me. Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. I care for you. I want you to have life. Not everybody out there, not everything out there is worth following. There are leaders out there. There are voices out there that sound appealing. But I'm the only one who wants you to have life so desperately that I laid down mine for you. You see, sheep, they really only have one asset. They know how to follow Sheep only have one resolution, one firm decision have sheep ever made. That's to follow. The course of action they've decided upon is just to trust the shepherd. The clarity, the high resolution that they are looking for is found in the face and in the voice of their shepherd. Their resolve to follow is all they have going for them. That's it. So here's my challenge. Instead of a big piece of paper with categories and subpoints and resolutions and goals, instead of instead of Jesus being a category on the list, could Jesus write the list? Instead of me looking for ways to integrate Jesus into my predetermined plan, could I ask him to integrate me into his plan? Instead of me trying to put a Jesus component into my agenda, could I let Jesus set the agenda? See, I think we've got to flip this whole thing upside down, turn it inside out, and start asking different questions. Bono, the lead singer of U2, puts it this way. Instead of doing something and then asking God to bless it, find out where God's already at work and join Him there. You could boil that all down and say, just follow Him. And that's the problem with this whole resolution thing, right? I plot the course, I write the story, I paint the picture, and then tell God to jump in. Instead, shouldn't I begin by asking some different questions like, God, what are you doing? 
Where, where are you going? God, who are you being to people in this world? Because to follow means to do, go, and be what Jesus does, where he goes, and to be him, to shine his light, like Jim talked about all last month, to a dark and hurting world. Because I've got a hunch that if I ditched my categories, got rid of them, physical, spiritual, family, work, and just resolved myself to follow to really do what Jesus wants me to do, to say what Jesus wants me to say, to care for who Jesus wants me to care for, to be who Jesus wants me to be, I just bet my physical, spiritual, family, and work life would all transform dramatically. You see, Jesus never talks about our, life in the sa- our lives in the same categories that we do. In fact, he never even talks about our life, your life, in categories. He just talks about life. Jesus never once sat down and went, now I want to talk about your emotional life. Jesus never even sat down and said, now I want to talk about your spiritual life. He just talked about life because he understands we can't be sliced and diced and dissected the way that we tend to think we can. You see, if Jesus were walking around today, he would not write a self-help book. There would be no 10 steps to be a better you. It'd be a very short book. It'd be one step and two words. It would be, follow me. End of book. In fact, Jesus says the good shepherd... As the good shepherd, Jesus didn't tell people to do much besides follow him. And along the way and on the journey, the resolution got clearer. Things got more clear as people journeyed with them. And this one will blow your mind. If you, if you grew up in the church, this one may even bother you a little bit. But this is true, I promise. Jesus, when he told people to follow him, he didn't even make sure they believed the right stuff first. He didn't give them like a theological quiz. He didn't ask them about their doctrine. He didn't run a background check. He just said, follow me. And along the way, they learned the stuff. And that was different. That was revolutionary. That was different from any other teacher in Jesus' day. They all operated much differently. If you wanted to follow any other teacher, any other rabbi in Jesus' day, you had to go learn all their material familiarize yourself with all the things they teach and decide then and there, do I believe this? Do I buy into this or not? And if you did, then maybe after you signed on the dotted line, you'd be invited to follow. You had to believe before you could belong. Jesus did the opposite. He said, follow. And they learned his teachings along the way. It looked like this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and what? Followed him. You see, with Jesus, it was different. With Jesus, you could belong before you believed. There was no contract, no signing on the dotted line. Just follow. Can I tell you that's one of the things I love most about Flatirons? This is a place where you can belong before you believe. All we're saying is just come join us on the journey. We're trying to follow this shepherd. We're trying to follow this guy named Jesus. Come just taste and see. Just see for yourself. Just come follow. And here's the thing that ruffles some feathers sometimes. You can belong even if you never believe. You're still welcome here. Come taste and see. Because here's the truth. The only way to learn about following is to follow. You can't read about it in a book. You can't hear some motivational speaker. 
There's no book on tape about it. If you want to follow, you want to learn about following, put one foot in front of the other and follow. So time out, Scott. When did Jesus' disciples become Christians? I don't know. A better question would actually be, when did they become followers? That's an easy answer. The moment they set those nets down, said, bye, Dad, and put one foot in front of the other. In that moment, they became a follower. Well, wait a second. I mean, but when did they believe? When, when, when did they become a Christian? I don't know. I know that one time Jesus looked at Peter and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter was like, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. So apparently somewhere on the journey, Peter embraced that deep truth and believed it. When? I don't know. All I know is followers are easy to spot. Followers of Jesus are easy to spot because they do the things Jesus did. They say the things Jesus said. They go the places Jesus went and they love the people Jesus loved. Do followers always get it right? No, absolutely not. Do followers get off track and sometimes turn their back on their shepherd? Absolutely. The beautiful thing about this shepherd is he leaves the 99 to chase after the one and he'll restore you every time. There's never been a time where he's going, oh, that's one too many times. I'm sick of you, you pitiful sheep. Stay out of my flock. That's never happened. It never will. So here's what I think. Here's what I think we should do with that piece of paper in front of you. You still got it? The one with the categories and all that kind of stuff? Some of you, you're type A and you've already started filling it in, right? <laughs> Just put a big X through that whole thing. I don't care how painful it is, do it. <laughs> all right? And you don't have to, but that's what I think we should do. Put a big X through the whole thing and write one big word. You can probably guess what it is. Follow. Follow. No resolutions this year. Just one resolution. Follow. That's what I've decided to do this year. And here's my question. What if? What if our entire church ditched resolutions this year? What if we just had one resolution to follow? And here's the thing about following. The sheep know the shepherd because they recognize his what? Voice. How do we recognize the voice of Jesus? I suggest we keep listening to what he says in this Bible. I suggest we keep listening to what he tells us to do. And as we continue to familiarize ourselves with his voice, we'll become in tune with him and we'll continue to go the places he wants us to go as we follow him. Because here's the thing. In this culture, in this country, it's become increasingly easier to wear the title Christian but not actually be a follower of Jesus. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Donald Miller. Uh, he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, a whole bunch of people um, have maybe heard of. But he tells the story of teaching at a Bible college back east. And he told the class as he was getting started, he said, Listen, I'm going to present to you the plan of salvation. And I'm going to leave something very important out. And I want to see at the end of this if you will recognize what I've left out. And so he goes on, he talks about sin and creation and Adam and Eve and heaven and hell and redemption and God and angels and all this kind of stuff. And he gets to the end and he stands there and he puts down the marker from the whiteboard and he goes, okay, what did I leave out? Room full of Bible college students. They sit there quiet for three minutes. Cannot figure it out. Till finally he erases the whole board and says one word, Jesus. Never said the name Jesus. And you may be going, well, how's that possible? What kind of Bible college was that? It was a good one, to be honest. Let me be more honest. In all 21 of my ambitious resolutions last year, you know how many times the name of Jesus appeared? 
Zero. See, I can carry the title of Christian around like a cheap t-shirt, but following Jesus, that's entirely different. So what would following look like? I mean, what would that really look like? Where would we end up if we truly resolved ourselves to that single goal? If we made that one firm decision to follow, what would happen? Where do you think Jesus would take us? I don't know. I think we got a pretty good taste of that the past several months this past year, right? We at least scratched the surface a little bit, didn't we? And over the past several months, we've basically been unpacking two ideas. One is that God has always been concerned about these two things. One is to tell the story of his love to all those who don't know it. To tell the story of how desperately loved everyone on this planet is. To tell the story that Jesus died on a cross in our place for our sins to everyone who may not know that. And the other is to care for the poorest of the poor. Those are the two things we've been getting our hearts around. Jesus' first public statement was this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He's anointed me to preach good news. To who? The poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then I love this one chapter over. He, he approaches this guy named Levi. Later, his name's going to be Matthew. And this is a guy who's totally turned his back on God, religion, his own people, the whole thing, and just decided, I'm out for myself, my gain. I'm going to do my deal. And Jesus looks at Levi and goes, hey, um, come follow me. And amazingly, Levi gets up and follows him. You know the first place they go? They don't go to church. They don't go to the synagogue. They don't go to the temple. They don't go to confession. You know where they go? They go to Levi's house. And Levi, one of these sinners and tax collectors, calls all these other buddies who are all sinners and tax collectors and throws a party. And they only know how to throw one kind of party. A good one. All right. And, and, and the music is blaring. All right. And the drinks are flowing and the religious people are standing outside and they're pointing fingers at Jesus going, what's he doing in there with those kind of people? What's he doing in there with people like that? And Jesus walks outside and goes, hey, by the way, it's people like that that I came for. It's people like this that I love. It's the lost, it's the hurting, it's the messed up, and it's the broken that I arrived on the scene for in the first place. And I can't predict the future, you guys, but I know. I know that if we want to follow this year, if we want to go where Jesus is, if I were a betting man, I would let it all ride on this proposition that we'll probably end up in a couple different places. We'll probably end up at parties. And we'll probably end up on back porches and patios and barbecues and rec centers and parks and ball games. To build relationships with people, not because they're our projects, but because we love them, because God loves them, because He first loved us. And He's going to take us to people who don't know Him in Westminster and Boulder and Louisville and Lafayette and Denver and all over this community. And He's going to take us to people who are in real desperate need going to take us to him in this community and he's going to take us to those types of people on uh, across oceans he's going to take us to afghanistan and nairobi and thailand and south africa not to pass out pamphlets but maybe to pass out blankets 
to people who are cold and sick this winter to pass out medicine and a meal, to those who, who need their wounds mended to bind them up, to, to those who are oppressed and harassed and antagonized to bring love, to bring Jesus in the form of a cold drink of water from a new clean well. That's where I think, that's where I suspect he's going to take us this year. See, our church has a mission statement. I don't know if you knew that or not. About 15 years ago, it got real popular for churches and businesses to make sure you have a mission statement, you know. And so we've got one just like everybody else does. And it's pretty simple. It's, it's a good mission statement. It's to bring the awesome love of Jesus to a lost and broken world. That's a good mission statement. Now, if you, if you hopped on Google and Googled churches and looked at a bunch of different churches' websites, you'd find thousands of churches with a very similar mission statement. And they're all good. Here's the problem with mission statements. They're not worth the paper they're written on. They're not worth the paper they're written on. They're not worth the website they're put on unless, unless it came from some group of people getting together going, you know, you know what? We should probably write down and put language to that thing God's doing among us. We should probably articulate that thing that we're all about, that thing that we've been doing so people can kind of understand who we are and what we're about. See, a mission statement's only... Viable if it's really the mission. And that's another thing I love about Flatirons Community Church. That would be our mission, whether it was written down in the program or on the website or not, because that's how you got here. That's how we got here. See, there's a picture. My wife, Allison, and I can't get out of our heads. And some of you have probably been the same way, and you couldn't get this out of your head if you were around the past few weeks either. And the reason... I can't get that out of my head is because that's Landry and Eli. That's my kids. Four-year-old, two-year-old, cold and shivering in the mountains in wintertime, hungry, no shelter. So here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that if we follow this year, those kids and many more will not stay that way. So let's get really clear. Let's have one high-resolution moment right now. Let's draw the line in the sand. Let's make one firm decision this year. Let's follow Jesus. Wherever he may take us, to whoever he may take us, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the difficulty, one resolution. Let's follow.